hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. Episode 149 of the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, Adam. we got a lot to dive into tonight. Oklahoma coming off of a 28-11 win over the SMU Mustangs. Got the first road trip of the season this upcoming Saturday afternoon in Tulsa against the Golden Hurricanes. And uh, a lot of storylines kind of going on non-related to football. Uh, We're going to shy away from that as much as we possibly can. Some good conversations in the National College Football a review that we're going to dive into. Of course, we've got week three of bets. I'm out to a commanding one-game lead after two weeks of completions. Uh, uh, but things are good, man. Uh, I'm excited to uh, talk some football and move on to week three. Let's dive into And I think probably the best way to start with SMU is probably to do what we're calling our walk the plank or hoist the Jolly yeah. Roger segment, the stock up, stock down. And I think that will help guide our conversation. So uh, this segment brought to you by CrimsonCaptain.com. Uh, one of the best sites out there for Sooner News, for recruiting intel, for uh, game and film breakdowns. In fact, there's even a free article out there right now specifically about some of the changes in defense this year compared to last year. So check out the CrimsonCaptain.com. You won't be disappointed there. Let's go ahead and, and start off here with uh, some positives. Who's hoisting the Jolly Roger for you this week, Tyler? It's got to be Danny Stutzman, Adam. Arguably played his most complete game in an Oklahoma uniform uh you know he is the true definition it kind of feels like of a elite Brent Venables linebacker you know coming into his second season in this scheme 17 tackles uh on the night two and a half tackles for loss one sack one fumble recovery and one towed car so fantastic performance <laughs> for Danny Stutz we'll see what we can do uh about keeping that guy's car in the parking lot uh, just across the street from the stadium but you you've got to like what you're seeing from uh from Danny Stutzman the growth that this kid it's it's clear as night and day uh where danny is right now in week two compared to a year ago uh, as we were going into the nebraska game up in lincoln uh you've really got to like the uh the makeup overall of this oklahoma linebacker room led by the uh the general that is danny stutzman so fantastic play from 28 excited to see him you know build on uh his performance going into tulsa this upcoming weekend yeah, I'm going on the defensive side of the ball as well for my hoisting the Jolly Roger. Um, I'm going specifically with competitive depth here because we heard that buzzword all during the offseason, uh, during fall camp speci- uh, specifically, and it was kind of like, oh, man, I wonder if this is going to come back to kind of bite us in the butt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's turned out to actually be really well. And I think probably the best example that you know, I can say that we saw against SMU was the way that the performance didn't dip throughout the entire game from this defense, from start to finish to Justin Harrington's uh, game ceiling interception. Uh, we actually had the opportunity to write about this on crimsoncaptain.com. We had an article that posted yesterday, so uh, check that out. But uh, yeah, specifically like this defense, you know, no matter what SMU threw at them, uh, no matter what quarter it was, no matter who was in the game, there we saw tons of backups. We saw Kip Lewis. We saw Kobe McKenzie contribute a lot. We saw Justin Harrington and Peyton Bowen continue to contribute. Um, we saw Kanai walker come in and contribute we just saw guys all across the board at at you know second string third string so on and so forth and really this defense didn't break 
they they bended a little bit here and there, but they really didn't break. In fact, they stepped up and and met the challenge time after time. Mm. It really, if it wasn't for Brent Venables' unfortunate penalty, uh, this team probably doesn't find the end zone, in my opinion. So uh, I'm going with competitive depth as my uh, hoisting the Jolly Roger. Well, and Adam, if you would have told me going into the SMU game that Oklahoma was only going to give up 11 points, and you know, or eight of those was kind of as a result of some penalties, one of which was on the head coach Brent Venables. You know, he paid the price yesterday uh, by doing some up downs uh, throughout the course of practice. But yeah, uh, competitive depth, you hit the nail on the head. You you just look at some of the guys outside of the starting lineup. You know, Kenai Walker, uh, you know, Robert Spears Jennings, Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, guys that, you know, aren't very experienced uh, in this Brent Venables defense. But with the way that they go about their preparation, you know, with how hard they practice, how hard they take the build up to the game seriously, you can tell that the moment isn't too bright for these kids. And once they find their way onto the field, they're able to make plays to where you can tell that there's really not much of a drop off from one to two uh, as we could go up and down this uh, this depth chart for Oklahoma. But, yeah, I thought that the defense played extremely well. Um, and, again, you give up 11 points over the course of the first two games. You stop the run. Defensive line, we can touch on that here in just a little bit. Um, I'm probably a little bit more concerned than normal uh, here as we sit here two weeks throughout the regular season. But, uh, yeah, no doubt about it. Danny Sussman played fantastic in the competitive depth, uh, position one through 11, uh, is doing wonders in this Ted Roof defense. Yeah, next up, we got to go for our walk the plank, kind of the stock down. I'll lead this one off. Um, I'm going to go with the offensive line here, and specifically the people, and maybe myself included in this group, that said, hey, this might be the best offensive line that we've seen since that 2018 group that led the way for Kyler Murray and Kennedy Brooks. And we're just not seeing that right now. And honestly, the running backs are not helping them look better because I don't think that they're they're seeing the holes or seeing the the cutback lanes to make this offensive line look even better. But just the mere fact that Savion Bird is being pulled because he's he's kind of playing lazy in some scenarios. He whiffed. But yet then <laughs> but he whiffs, but then he comes back in the fourth quarter. I think this was something again that Crimson Captain highlighted on his Twitter feed. So he's given some of that away for free. But the the effort that he comes back with uh, later in the game and it's like, man, why can't why can't we just get consistency out of mm-hmm. that guy? Because we need him to be. Uh, we need him to be consistent. We need the best five players on the field. And I, I feel like we can't count on that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that does have me pretty concerned. And I'm we've talked about this in years and years past. We're on season four of of doing the mainline podcast, but I'm tired of Bill Beanball's uh, team, his his unit, essentially taking you know five six games to figure it out. Like. I guess it's fine this year. Like we're really not playing too many tough teams before Texas, but that's frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for, for this Oklahoma offense, you know, especially the running backs, you know, truly reach its level of potential. You got to have, you know, just, just above average offensive line play across the board of one through five. And I don't feel like we're, we're getting that consistently throughout the first couple of weeks of the season, especially on Saturday night against SMU. Like you alluded to, Troy ever got a, got a majority of the reps at, at left guard over Savion Bart. I think it was close to 20 more snaps he had compared to Savion, but I, I think for me, Adam, and I'm going to kind of fall in line with you on this in terms of, you know, my stock down on this, who's walking the plank. I'm going to go with Jeff Lebby in this offense. Not Jeff Lebby because of the off-the-field issues that happened at the conclusion of the game. Or on was Saturday. it on the field? Or on the field. <laughs> but Jeff Lebby's game plan and play calling, in my opinion, 
was god-awful on Saturday night. Run the ball or throw a slant. That's pretty much all that we saw from this Oklahoma offense on Saturday night. The lack of creativity for me is the biggest concern, and this, Adam, is kind of really a pattern that we're seeing through the first 14, 15 games with Jeff Levy as the offensive coordinator. If not for an incredible play by Jalil Farouk in the fourth quarter, I think OU risk losing this ball game in the final three minutes against SMU. Of all teams, I know that they've got some dudes, especially at the skill talent. They've got a couple really good, uh, you know, nice players up front on the defensive line, but it's SMU for crying out loud. So, again, I'm not really sure what the game plan was in this. He acknowledged it in the postgame, talking about how conservative he was, how, you know, he made some mistakes. The play calling was atrocious. You go back and you look at PFF's snap count, Adam. Just go back and just go look at this real quick. Especially coming off of a performance where you put up you put up 70 plus points, you got big games from Nick Anderson, big performances from Gavin Freeman, from Jaden Gibson. You go look at the snap count against SMU. Gavin Salchuk had three, Javante Barnes had six, Jaden Gibson six, Freeman twelve, Nick Anderson sixteen, and the biggest I the biggest stain of them all, Jaquez Petaway played zero snaps on Saturday coming off of a game where he led the team in receptions. Now, again, I know that the game plan changes a little bit, but with what this with what this Oklahoma team does offensively, with the offensive line continuing to gel, trying to find themselves the running back room, trying to find the guy as they're getting, you know, uh, Gavin Sawchuk back from injury as Javante Barnes tries to find his footing, no pun intended, you've got to u- utilize your playmakers out on the perimeter um, and this is just something that, I again, I think is going to continue to plague Oklahoma until Jeff Levy truly takes the handcuffs off of Dylan Gabriel in this Oklahoma offense and gets him operating, you know, not just at a fast pace, but high efficiency, making plays down the field, being a little bit more creative uh, in your play calling. I would like to see more Petaway, but I think we also have to remember that almost all of his receptions against Arkansas State were pretty much bubble screens or a little like flat <laughs> passes off of play action. So it really wasn't downfield passing. And that's, I think, easy for people to look at the stat line of Petaway or Jackson Arnold, who went 11 mm-hmm. for 11 and go, oh, wow, it was amazing. It was perfect. Well, it's like they were all bubble screens. Like you should yeah. complete all of those. You shouldn't have any problems with that. If you do, then we got major problems there. So I I feel like the stats are deceiving from that Arkansas state game specifically on those two players. Um, So yes, I would like to see more Petaway. I'm not sure that he's the answer there, but you also think about, like you mentioned, it was slants only uh, in the passing game, really. Mm -hmm. So we could have had more wide receiver screens. I don't know if there was maybe a concern about uh, most of those are going to go to Drake Stoops and we don't want to put him in as many positions with an injury potentially. I I don't know. Um, Same thing with running backs. Like I don't think saving, Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes for conference play is like, I don't think that's a strategy. You don't want those guys getting revved up as they're playing Iowa state for the first time. You want them ready to go. I don't, I don't think there's any reason to save those guys. So yeah, it's questionable. And I think, you know, that's something we'll look for a lot with, uh, you know, this matchup against Tulsa is like, Hey, let's, let's just loosen up a little bit. Let's, let's play, play the game the, you know, the way we should with our full arsenal, with our full playbook, you're going to have some wrinkles for Texas, but like just, cut the cut the cuteness i guess on that end well and i think that's you know you look at what texas did in tuscaloosa on saturday night taking down alabama the way that they did and then you you go back and you rewatch oklahoma's performance against smu yeah you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit worried that you know does this team you know do, do they have the the horses and do they have the ability to compete with that texas football team over the course of four quarters on october 7th and you know adam do we do we have a running back problem at oklahoma right now currently because to me with the way that Marcus Major and Javante Barnes run the football right now, it's not a good combination 
with kind of the lackluster performance that we've seen, you know, collectively from this offensive line, because you know what you've got in Tawie Walker. He, he's going to, he's going to run you over. He's going to get you those two, three, four yards, but a big play for Tawie Walker is getting 15 or 18 yards. He's not going to have the ability to take it to the house on any given carry like you would possibly see from a Gavin Sawchuk. And I know that we're slowly nursing him back to health, but just watching the way that Marcus Major and Devontae Barnes, the inability to make guys miss or be shifty enough to make plays in between the tackles, that I'm not really too confident right now in this running back position. And I hope that this is something that Oklahoma can continue to get better at. Uh, you know, especially this week against Tulsa, because after that, you got Iowa State, you've got Cincinnati, and then you've got Texas. Um, it's it's gonna the competition's gonna ramp up up front uh, for for these guys uh, here in a hurry. Yeah, I don't think we know at all what we're doing on the running game, whether it be which running backs that we want to utilize, and maybe Salchuk's just not healthy. Like, mm-hmm. great, like let's get him healthy and get him back and and be the lightning that we need out of that backfield. Uh, but same thing with Jackson Arnold, like. I don't know why he's the belldozer. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Everyone loved it after week one because he scored a touchdown on it. And now after week two, um, some of the most voracious uh, no's that we got on Twitter this week was just people saying we don't want to see Jackson Arnold doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I agree with them. I think if there needs to be a package for for Jackson Arnold, it needs to be more like option based, you know, to the outside because of his speed and his size Mm -hmm. and all the other weapons that you could utilize for something like that. I get the understanding of, okay, you have an extra blocker with the quarterback run game, but I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for him to do that with his skills. He's not the belldozer. He's not six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. No, that's not. And, his and it's incredibly skill set. lazy because you know Texas is preparing for a pass off of that. Sure, like it's not going to be a surprise when he passes it. Absolutely. So and and at the, yeah, and I, at this point, Adam is Texas or really or really any other of a handful of opponents in this conference really going to be afraid of. Uh, uh, Jake Smith and, or excuse me of Smith and Stogner. Blake Smith, Blake Smith and Stogner. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't see that whatsoever. You've got a quarterback in Jackson Arnold, elite 11 winner, five-star, top three quarterback in the country that operated an offense that didn't guy that was spread formation, run and shoot, score 50, 60 points a game. And your, your game plan to convert a third and two or a fourth and one is to put Jackson Arnold out there when they know what you're going to be doing and you're not even going to remotely show any type of wrinkle. If you want to pick up a third and two or a fourth and one, hand the ball off to Tawi Walker. Or if you want to run a little bit of a wildcat, put a guy that's got a, that's got a little bit bigger stature. Hell, give the ball to Jaron Canick. He's got the ball. I mean, he's got the experience playing quarterback in high school. Honestly, Farouk Farouk was a great wildcat. Give the ball to Farouk. I mean, we saw some yeah. success with uh, the and the, again going back to cre- creativity in the Texas game a year ago, where we didn't have a quarterback and we had to be a little bit you know creative with some of our schemes, giving the ball to Braden Willis or giving it to you know Eric Gray in the wildcat formation. But I mean, del- again, it's two weeks. We feel we feel worse about this game than we did a week ago. That's the that's the highs and lows. That's the ups and downs of, of college football. But again, I go back to what are the expectations at Oklahoma, and the bare minimum it's winning a Big Twelve championship. And you see what that team in Austin did down there. Not just how well they played on Saturday night, but you see the athletes, you see the coaching, you see the scheme and the creativity of of what they bring to the table for this Oklahoma offense delayed misdirection in the running game and your quarterback throwing quick game will give you absolutely no chance to beat Texas on October 7th. If you do not utilize your skill talent, Jaquez Petaway, Jane Gibson, Nick Anderson, Andre Anthony, give your playmakers the ability to be difference makers. You have no chance barring 
a freakish injury or Quinn Ewers inter- throwing four interceptions, you have no chance to beat the Longhorns, and you're going to be in one-possession games against a handful of other conference opponents throughout the rest of this regular season. You've got to free things up. You've got to be more creative. And the biggest thing for me, you've got to be aggressive. I don't care if you're trying to save your defense. It's clear that Oklahoma has more depth on that on the defensive side of the football right now. Whatever you have to do to score points, whether it's scoring in 30 seconds or, or five minutes, Go get seven, and we'll figure it out defensively. That's why they that's why they brought Brent Venables in. That's why Ted Roof is on staff. Go out there, figure out a way to be aggressive, be creative, go score, especially against some of these inferior opponents. And we can talk about Tulsa here in a minute. Go out there, make plays, score 40 or 50 points, and let's get this thing going. Before we talk Tulsa, let's talk a little bit about national scene of college football. And you mentioned Texas several times just a moment ago. I think that's probably top of mind for all OU fans. It was the biggest storyline nationally over the weekend. And I think some OU fans are thinking, yeah, like I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, more nervous about that game than I have been in years past. I look at it and go, okay, Texas played to their ceiling finally against Alabama, uh, regardless of how good you think Alabama might be this year. They still have a ton of talent there. So mm-hmm. they, they played to their ceiling in Tuscaloosa. And I'm kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, Texas always plays to their ceiling in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, They may not against Baylor. They may not against Texas Tech. That's yet to be seen this year. Um, But I'm not really all that worried. I I knew we were going to get Texas's best shot in the Cotton Bowl. It's always going to be tough there against Texas, regardless of whether they're 5-7 and or Mm -hmm. maybe a playoff team like they might be this year. It's the same for OU. We're playing one of the best teams in the nation Mm -hmm. on that day, on that field. And what happens the rest of the year might be different, but... and when it comes and when it comes to that rivalry, anything can happen on any given any given second Saturday in October. And I get what you're saying. It's not for me when you look at Texas. It's not so much the fact that they went down to Tuscaloosa and beat them by ten points. I think it was Nick Saban's like ninth ninth loss. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's during his time in in Tuscaloosa. But it, for me, it's you can't help but compare this Oklahoma team to this Texas team particularly in the trenches. I know that Texas beat Alabama by 10, but you look at the offense and defensive line for the Longhorns, they dominated Alabama. And I'm sorry, but I don't know of any offensive lineman on Oklahoma right now that would start at Alabama. I'm just going to be blunt, just going to be frank with you. And and again, when you flip things over uh, what this uh, Oklahoma defensive line, I know that they've been really good through the first two games in terms of stopping the run, but stopping stopping the run and getting no quarterback pressure on Quinn Ewers is not a good recipe for success when Oklahoma takes the field against the Longhorns here in four weeks. So, again, I'm not saying that Oklahoma can't win this game. No, by no means am I saying that at all. They've got three more weeks to get things ironed out to figure out their identity, especially on offense. But at this point right now, I don't see how you could come away from that game in Tuscaloosa on, on Saturday night thinking that when Texas does play up to their competition, when they do roll into the Cotton Bowl here and they play the best game of their season, I don't see Oklahoma matching up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Prove me wrong. Elsewhere in the, <laughs> elsewhere in the conference that kind of caught my eye, I know everyone's kind of focused on Texas Tech and Baylor mm-hmm. really not living up to expectations uh, through the first two weeks, both 0-2. Um, but for me, I think it's the Kansas schools. Kansas, I was very impressed with against Illinois. They look speedy. They look fast. I think that's going to be uh, a difficult game. I was I was not as high on on the Jayhawks coming into the year, but uh, man, they look fast. Uh, they look like a really uh, a team that's really going to stretch the defense, regardless of how improved OU might be this year. And then Kansas State. I know people will say they may not have played anybody. Troy's a very good team out of the Sun Belt, 
And really, that game was never in doubt for the Wildcats. Mm-hmm. So I think they're looking impressive, and they're looking very strong. I, I, I think we're blessed that they're not on our schedule uh, right now. So we'll see maybe if OU's able to match up with them in Arlington. Uh, but yeah, those two teams looking uh, better. So I think there's some balance. I think, uh, you know, I guess some balancing out of two teams in Texas Tech and Baylor that are not as good. I think some Kansas teams that are mm-hmm. a little bit better. And again, all the little squ- scheduling quirks of the 14-team conference this year are just going to produce something strange, I feel like. Sure. There's going to be somebody out there that's mm-hmm. going to do a little bit better than expected. Let's let's hope that's OU maybe. Cincinnati. Uh, just, uh, or Cincinnati. Cincinnati who, looks a little bit strong, better. Yeah. Emory Jones at quarterback play. UCF has put together two really nice, impressive performances. They are going to kind of get baptized by fire next week. Their their Big 12 opener is, is against Kansas State in primetime up in Manhattan. But again, like I alluded to, not only does, does Oklahoma have to figure things out offensively to be able to compete and hopefully beat Texas, but you better figure things out offensively to keep up with Kansas or UCF or, or you know, maybe if, if Oklahoma State can figure things out at the quarterback position by, you know, by the back half of the season, we'll see. But, um, yeah, uh, definitely uh, a lot of improvement um, is out there. Oklahoma's got to make some changes. But, Adam, the big thing for me, we can – I'm not even going to touch on Colorado Nebraska. Nebraska just – I think Nebraska, if you put any other quarterback on that team besides Jeff like Sims – Like Casey Thompson. Like Casey Thompson, you might have <laughs> a six or seven win football team because that oh, yeah. that roster's not too bad at the other 21 positions on the field. But, my God, Jeff Sims um, – my biggest takeaway that weekend, Adam, outside of what happened in Tuscaloosa, was down there in Coral Gables, Florida, where you had the fighting <laughs> Texas Aggies, the NIL guru, Jimbo Fisher. He's going, he's he's in year six. He's got his guys. This is the time when they've got the five-star quarterback in Connor Wigman. They've got 15 uh, you know, five-star defensive linemen. They've got Bobby Petrino, DJ Durkin. And they go out there in a half-empty stadium and just get the shit kicked out of them against a Miami team led by quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. Mario Cristobal, year two, seems like he's got that program going in a really good direction. Um, just a fantastic weekend uh, for, for all the Texas A&M haters out there. I know, me especially, I enjoyed watching what Miami did uh, to, to uh, Texas A&M on Saturday. Bad week to be an Aggie, but there's uh, quite a few of those throughout the year. So double whammy of losing to Miami and your arch rival beating Alabama. So uh, I'm sure those Aggies are, are hiding from those conversations in the offices uh, are, down in Dallas and Houston. Are you sold on Colorado? Are you a believer, as Dion would say? I mean, they're definitely better than they were last year. Yeah. Um, I, I don't yet know if TCU has taken a major step back from, I, I believe they have taken a major step back, but like how far back mm-hmm. and then with Nebraska, like uh, Jeff Sims, like you mentioned, just gifting them. So I, I think Colorado will be decent, but I don't know. I kind of wonder over time, like how much depth do they have? They're really not running the ball at all. No, they're getting away with, with really no running game. Right. Uh, so, I mean, is that enough? I, I think they will be in pretty much every game that mm-hmm. they play, but are they going to be able to actually upset someone that we know is legitimately good, sure. like USC or Oregon, or I don't know if they play Utah, for example, like, are they going to be able to upset one of those? Mm-hmm. That will be where I start to believe like, okay, major, yeah. major, major change, like right. potential conference champion. I think it's CU's defense is surprisingly good. And we all know from watching the first two weeks of the season and really a little bit of watching Jackson state a year ago, they've got the skill guys that can, that can be competitive and, you know, can score enough to keep you in some of those games. But for me, what the CU what CU, it kind of boils down for me, is now that you're getting into some of these opponents where you're going to be taking on Lincoln Riley and USC, Dan Lanning out at Oregon, you're now getting yeah. into a situation where no longer having equal or better talent is going to be enough. You're going to have to be able to go out there and coach and you know 
coach your team to a win. And again, you've got Caleb Williams coming up. You've got Bo Nix coming up. You've got that Dan Lanning, Oregon defense. So yeah, they struggled a little bit uh, against Texas Tech out there in Lubbock, but there's about to be a huge uptick in competition for for Colorado. And again, Dion's proven us wrong two weeks in a row. Um, we'll see if he can do it again. I've already told my girlfriend's family, who are again CU graduates, CU alum, if Dion beats Lincoln Riley in USC here on September 30th in Boulder, I might have to get a primetime tattoo. The t- the option is out there. We might have to do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's going good. Yeah. Tell us about Tulsa. What should OU fans know about the uh, Golden Hurricane? Yeah, not honestly, not too much, Adam. One and one on the year, uh, forty-two to seven win over Arkansas Pine Bluff in Week One, and then last Saturday they they ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw that is Washington going, you know, losing forty-three to ten. Um, as far as personnel goes, really, Adam, there's not too much uh, on this Tulsa roster that would scare me if I'm an Oklahoma fan. It's really kind of like what we've seen the last couple of weeks. It's really on OU to play their brand of football, to take it to the opponent. Um, and only Oklahoma can beat themselves on Saturday. Braylon Braxton, he's he's pegged right now as, as quarterback one. It seems like he's dealing with a little bit of a hand injury right now. His status for the game on Saturday is probably a little bit better than 50-50. Uh, but you look at the running back position, and again, this is something that Oklahoma has done extremely well over the first two weeks, and that's stopping the run game. Both of their, starting, both of their top two running backs, Jordan Ford and Bill Jackson, both come in at right around the five foot nine, hundred ninety pounds. So not not very big, but they do have a little bit of speed, a little bit of shiftiness. They can make you miss. They actually ran for one hundred sixty eight yards against Washington a couple of days ago uh, in the loss uh, to, to to Washington. And then out on the perimeter, it starts for me with number four, Marquis Shoulders. Really good player, can make plays when he's got the ball in his hands. I think that this is going to be a really nice test for Woody Washington or Gentry Williams going back to the four or going back to the nine one eight uh, to play in front of his hometown. For, fans and adam just kind of a a name that oklahoma fans especially the diehards will remember the starting right tackle for tulsa on saturday number 79 is ou transfer daryl simpson a guy that never saw the field out of there he's still there wow been there for a long long time but yeah um offensively Tulsa, they they really don't have anything for me that's going to present too much of a challenge for Oklahoma. As long as they, you know, play good assignment sound football, Oklahoma's going to be just fine. And I would be surprised if Tulsa was able to score more than 10 to 14 points. Yeah. Former Oklahoma State wide receiver Braylon Presley also yeah. on this roster. So they've got they've got a couple of guys. Defensively, this is kind of interesting. For me, looking at what they have defensively, they held Arkansas Pine Bluff and Washington to ride around 100 yards rushing. And obviously that's something that we've talked about a lot. The running game is going to be a huge focus for OU. With Washington, they really, I don't think it really attempted to pass. They or uh, sorry, attempted to run. I think they had 22 total rushing attempts the entire game, yeah. despite being in control of that. So I don't know if that was, it got shut down or they just, I'm obviously they have a, a great passing offense, so maybe that was their focus. Um, so I'm interested to see what OU is able to do uh, on the ground against the uh, Hurricane, who haven't really given up a whole lot. Well, I mean, obviously you want to get better at running the football. You want to show improvements. You want to continue to you know to make those adjustments and you know be a, a more physical, dominant offensive line. I think that Oklahoma is going to try to do that on Saturday. But for me, this is I'm kind of treating this week as kind of a bounce back game for for Jeff Levy in terms of the play calling and the game plan because. Michael Penix in Washington, oh, you know, three days ago, Michael Penix threw for 454 yards and three touchdowns on this Tulsa secondary. So if I'm Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold, uh, if I do have an opportunity to go out there and it's, you know, the, the down and distance is more than two yards, I'm looking my chops. 
because this is a Tulsa secondary that Oklahoma is going to have the the advantages out on the perimeter. I would hope that you would see Nick Anderson, Jane Gibson return to return to the field a little bit more this week, be more uh, of a focal point in the game plan because Dylan Gabriel, he's going to have the ability to throw the football all day long on Saturday. So, um, you know, get back to running the football, open things up in the passing game, take some shots down the field, run something more than just a quick slant or a bubble screen. Let's be a little bit more creative. Let's open up this playbook a little bit more, and let's go out there and score 50 on Tulsa Saturday. We will wrap the show up with our score predictions for OU versus Tulsa, but before we jump to that, I think it's time to uh, get into our bets. And as you alluded to earlier, you have a one-game lead on me. I went under 500 this week, so I'm at 500 even for the year, 5-5. Five and five. You're ahead of me at 6-4, and four. Mm-hmm. so you being in first place will give you the chance to uh, give us your first pick. Yeah, I'm ki- I'm kind of kicking myself. I've had the opportunity to have a 4 and one week. I've spent the last four months on this podcast telling everybody that I felt really, really good about Texas beating Alabama, and then just, <laughs> the it, it, I don't know, maybe it's the Nick Saban factor, but game week make the, made the switch, took Alabama the points, you know, suffering because of that. Pick number one for me, Adam, I'm going up to SEC country. The future home, potentially, of five-star defensive end, Williams Winery. Kansas State traveling, getting four and a half points against the Tigers of Missouri. Kansas State absolutely embarrassed Missouri a year ago in Manhattan. I've seen a little bit of Missouri tape. They're they're just not a good football team all the way around. I know they've got Luther Burden. He's been really good the last couple of weeks, but I'm pretty sure they only won by four points on Saturday against uh, pretty much a Division One level two type squad. So Kansas State is a whole different animal. Will Howard, that offensive line, I think that they're going to go up to Missouri and win by at least uh, five on Saturday. My number one, I'm going back to the well here, Liberty minus three and a half at Buffalo. Buffalo actually lost to Fordham at home last week. I know they played Wisconsin a little bit tough, but I think it's we're starting to see that Wisconsin uh, wasn't as good as we maybe thought. So I'm going with Liberty. Uh, Picked off a lot of passes so far through mm-hmm. two games, and Caden Salter looking like uh, a really dynamic playmaker. I know this is on the road, but uh, give me the Flames to cover the three and a half. I like it. Pick number two for me, going back out to the SEC, Georgia, welcoming in South Carolina and Shane Beamer. Pray that the chain crew is not eating a hot dog during the game. They can get the chain set so that that way Spencer Rattler and that Gamecock offense have no excuses whatsoever. The, did you see that clip, by the way? No, what are you talking about? During the post-game press conference, uh, I think it was a week ago, Shane Beamer went on this huge rant about basically kind of blaming a lot of different factors why his team played the way that they did. And one of the reasons that he brought up was the chain gang wasn't on wasn't on top of their game, and they were eating a hot dog during the during the game instead of you know actually getting things set for everybody. But that's neither here nor there. Georgia's favored by twenty-seven and a half. Georgia has played absolutely nobody through the first two weeks of the regular season. I think that this is an opponent that at least wakes them up a little bit. It gets them focused, gets them ready to play this game. I think Georgia goes out there and dominates South Carolina, beats them by 27 and a half. A very similar line for my number two. I'm taking Western Michigan and the Broncos minus or plus 28 and a half at Iowa. I'm not sure if the Hawkeyes can even score 28 points. Um, I know Western Michigan did get a rough house pretty good by Syracuse last week, but Man, this Iowa offense, they're just not going to be fast-paced enough. They might win mm-hmm. this game 27 to nothing, uh, for all I know. So um, I'll take the Broncos here to cover that. I like it. Pick number three for me. I'm sticking with the I'm sticking with our boys in Crimson and Cream here. Oklahoma traveling down to the 918 to take on Tulsa. Oklahoma currently sitting at a 27 and a half point favorite. I know I don't ever bet Oklahoma. I try not to, but for me, I like this one. Tulsa to me does not present anything 
defensively that should give Oklahoma problems. This defense continues to improve. They, I think that they will take another step this upcoming weekend. They're going to be probably without a couple of key guys, so we're going to see some of the young bucks get a few more stap, uh, snaps uh, this upcoming weekend. But give me the Sooners to cover the 27.5 against the Golden Hurricanes. I'm going to go Iowa State at Ohio for my number three, under the 44.5. Neither of these teams has played a game that's gone over 40 points so far. So maybe it's a little risky considering this is a Power 5 versus a G5 matchup, but I don't think either of these teams have the offense really to to explode for uh, so many touchdowns here. So I'll take the under on that one. Nice. I like it. Pick number four for me. I'm... Going with another SEC team, going out to Fayetteville, BYU going on the road to take on the Sweaty Sams of Arkansas. Arkansas, minus five and a half first half. I think that the Razorbacks are going to jump on this team early, get out to a commanding lead. So give me Arkansas, minus five and a half first half cover. I'm going SEC as well for my number four. Vanderbilt, minus four and a half. They're traveling to Sin City to take on UNLV. Vanderbilt, I just feel like we'll have such um, such a – advantage along both lines of scrimmage here. So I think they'll be able to uh, keep the Rebels at arm's length away. Very nice. Pick number five for me. We're going to round this out. This is the one that I feel the absolute best about. So because of that reason, it's probably not going to hit. Sing right here in Boulder, Colorado State traveling up to take on Colorado, favored by 22 and a half points. Colorado just got waxed, or excuse me, Colorado State just got waxed by Washington State just a couple of days ago, and now you've got this high-powered offense led by Shadur Sanders. Uh, College game day is going to be in town. You know, Fox is going to be in town. I like Colorado big. Cover the 22-and-a-half. I'm going with a game that may be a mistake for my number five here, simply because it's on the Longhorn Network, and so I won't be able to watch it. Uh, I'm going Wyoming at Texas over 25-and-a-half in the first half. Uh, I think – Texas may come in maybe a little sleepwalking, you know, based off of the week that they've had. Uh, so maybe, uh, you know, the Cowboys are able to put up a couple scores quick and Texas mm-hmm. will have to rally in the second quarter. But I think they'll put up some points there in the uh, first half. So over the 25 and a half there. Let's uh, round it out with our score predictions, though, for OU Tulsa. Tyler, what you got? Adam, you kick things off here. I've gone first the last two weeks. Let's switch okay. it up a little bit. Who wins on Saturday and why? Uh, so... Oklahoma, of course. Okay. <laughs> I've got 42 to 10. I I think, yes, we will see better offense, but I think a lot of that will come on the ground because that'll be a focus area for this team. And so I just think it'll it'll slow the game down. It'll run the clock a little bit more. So that's why I owe you a little bit lower scoring there. But, um, yeah, if we had another performance out of this defense of limiting them mm-hmm. uh, to two scores or less, I think that is absolutely fantastic. So 42 to 10, my score. Uh, my score prediction is way too close to yours for comfort. I actually had it 45 to 10. So for that reason, I'm going to pick this Oklahoma defense to hold Tulsa to single digits. I'm going to go 45-7. Oklahoma dominates on Saturday. Funny enough, I put in 44 to 10 at first, and I was like, I didn't even look at your score prediction, which originally was 45 to 10. I was like, I got to change it. It's too close. I'll make it 42 to 10. That was still too close. Well, and I think another thing that's going to keep, you know, from some of these games being as high scoring is the changes that they've made with the clock, you know, continuing to run uh, throughout the the game, not stopping on first down. So that's really going to limit some of the possessions that teams are going to have the the ability to. So, but yeah, I'm going to go OU 45 7 and, um, Hopefully it's going to be a nice uh, – maybe we might even do a post-game pod on Saturday potentially. Are you going to Tulsa? 
No, I'm not. It was like, I don't want to drive two hours out to little old Tulsa for, for a game. Some fan yeah. you are. <laughs> I'll, I'll make my way to some other road games, but... Uh, hey, appreciate everyone listening to our podcast this week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod, and of course on YouTube as well by searching the Mainline uh, Podcast there. So we will see everyone again next week for the next episode of the Mainline Podcast.